This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 543 for January 25th, 2017. Folks, welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, your host and a senior contributor uh, to Macworld, publication that uh, hosts this fine podcast. And joining me back refreshed from her vacation in a magical land far away, well, not so far away, uh, <laughs> Susie Oaks. Far. Susie pretty Oaks. magical. Susie, the executive editor of Macworld. Magical. Was it, would you call it a kingdom? Was it a kingdom of magic? Um, yeah, it was a magical kingdom. Oh, that's a better better term than what I can Everyone up. was wearing funny hats and standing in long lines and eating ice cream for breakfast, and it was the best. That's I awesome. loved it. Did uh, It's a Small World seem ironic uh, around the time you were there? That, that, um, that song yeah the funny thing was so my son don't sing the song don't sing the song uh, my, my son saw it and was like what's that and we were like that's no, it's a small world and he's no, like can we go on it and no, we're like no, no no we can't you can't let's go on literally anything else and just walking by i had the song i'd never actually heard the song but the song was in my head for about an hour so that's why we're not going to sing the song on the podcast are we? No, it's, we're not. All right, don't do it. Don't, Glenn. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Already, I'm I'll hang up right now. Oh, jeez. I will turn this <laughs> podcast around. That'll end your around. precious podcast pretty darn quick. I will turn this podcast around. <laughs> there is no cure for earworms, no matter what you can do. You know, actually, for me, uh, advice to everybody listening, if you don't know Elvis Costello's uh, Mighty Like a Rose album, for me, my earworm cure is I think of the first song on that album, and it wipes the earworm out. So I don't know if this will work for anyone else. All neurology is different. But I have an earworm cure. And strangely, nice. that song doesn't become an earworm. So I don't know. Folks, if you have an earworm cure, send it in to P.O. Box 123, Anytown, USA. Zip code 01234. And uh, anyway, so Macintosh stuff. Hey, <laughs> what's this podcast about? I'm pulling this podcast over, doing a check. Uh, we got some follow-up. So this week, we got a bunch of stuff, though. We got uh, follow-up and some previous stories and follow-forward to steal a term from our friend Jason Snell and uh, about something coming up and um, Apple defections to Tesla, a bunch of security stories, lawsuits, financial stuff. It's kind of a mixed bag, but all kinds of stuff's going on this week. So we'll get to it. Uh, the follow-up from uh, last week and before. Susie, you were out when I talked briefly with Jonathan Zajarski, our guest last week. Thank you, Jonathan, for being our security guest to talk about uh, all the things you should be worried about. Um, Jonathan and I talked about the follow-up to Consumer Reports December testing, in which they said, can't recommend uh, the MacBook Pro because we're getting super weird battery life, which then was followed with Apple saying, they're getting super weird battery life because they've enabled this weird developer setting and Consumer Report said, yes, but it's your bug. And anyway, that's how we test everything. So, <laughs> but we'll retest. And so they retested um, between uh, two of our first podcast of the year and last week. And Consumer Reports found that, surprise, surprise, MacBook Pros have perfectly fine battery life if they're not doing invoking something that has a bug. Um, so lots of, uh, lots of confusion there. And uh, now, so that was last week's news. This week's news is Apple has rolled out a fix in macOS that takes care of that developer uh, cache thrashing bug. If you enable, if you go to the basement where the stairs are out and open the door that says, beware of the tiger, you no longer get uh, icon thrashing when you disable caches, 
So that's good. Um, we'll talk a little. What more. about the preview thing? Because I was holding off on the last Sierra oh. update because I didn't want to break uh, PDF editing and preview. I have not tested this. Now they said they fixed one thing in the release notes, but I haven't seen anyone discuss yet whether it fixed that. They fixed a um, Apple fixed a problem with like spotlight searching or something, uh, but they didn't fix. Uh, I don't think they listed that as a note, so I'm not sure. That was something I didn't see it mentioned. I'll I'll update it and I'll give it a try. Yeah, there's only some, one way to find out. There's some MacBook Pro graphics fixes too. There's a bunch of little things. Um, yeah, fixed. I'm sorry. Here's the note. It prevented the searching of scanned PDF documents in preview. Resolves a compatibility issue with PDF documents exported with encryption enabled. But I don't see a note in there about the issue that people had. So if you're still having, okay. So here's the downside. I was going to talk about this later, but I'll bring it up quickly since we're in this place is it you should this is sort of a, a little bit of follow-up because we're always talking about software updates uh you should immediately install the updates on all of your devices because apple fixed uh zero day kernel bugs all over the place including things that go through i shouldn't say they're not all kernel bugs some of them are webkit bugs they're all uh these are bugs that allow a, a correctly crafted kind of thing to hijack your device. Um, so there's no reports that any of these were in the wild. These are all effectively zero days. And having released a patch, it means that criminals will be ostensibly examining to see if there's anything that while reverse engineering, they might be able to exploit on devices that are unpatched. Although again, because people patch so quickly, they run the updates uh, in the Apple ecosystem. There's usually not much profit in doing that, but it, it also means that these are now known or could be determined and people should uh, update all their devices everywhere. TVOS, iOS, watchOS, uh, macOS, brainOS, neural implant OS, <laughs> uh, all these OSs. All the OSs. So what are you saying, Glenn? <laughs> uh, is it time to panic? Yes. Yes, it's time to panic. No, just uh, install install updates. Um, another issue, Susie, uh, I saw this on our fine site, macworld.com. Uh, something that's near and dear to my heart is multiple sensor things on cameras. And apparently the iPhone 8, the rumor is, the rumor is, uh, it might get a depth sensor. So um, like an, that's an IR sensor, infrared sensor that can um, do range finding. Although it said, uh, it's confusing because some reports said laser and some said infrared. And there's different kinds of depth sensors. Some use, um, some will project a, uh, it's called structured light and they'll project a grid that's invisible and then a sensor will read it. And apparently that uses a lot more energy than this uh, range finding approach where it's just shooting out beams of light and measuring how long it takes to come back. Um, although those are harder to uh, manage from what I understand. So uh, if you have depth sensor, it can be used with AR. It could be used to create, um, you know, to sort of scan for VR environments. And uh, you can also do interesting stuff with photography because the depth sensor lets the camera uh, in conjunction with a camera, it can tell it how far things are away for focus and other stuff. And if you have two cameras and a depth sensor, ostensibly, it gives you this incredible ability to pull out planes, um, you know, or different depths or surfaces or planes and work with them. So if there were a depth sensor, it could be really cool, especially for Apple's AR direction. I would say that's a big thing, but just in general, it could be a cool thing. Yeah. Could I like measure the room and... Yes, yeah, definitely. Getting out the tape measure and stuff, that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how accurate it is, but usually the kind of stuff we're going to see, uh, like Project Tango from Google, that's their experiment as a platform. And there's now 
uh, one, I think one or two devices out. One device is out. And I think another is on its way from uh, phone partners. And it's kind of a developmental thing. Like they're not turning it into a full-fledged feature yet, but you can buy commercial phones with the feature enabled. And uh, those, the you know, the accuracy is within a few meters is my understanding, maybe a little bit longer. But um, if you're walking around a room or a space like that, I mean, you're not going to be able to determine uh, how tall a building is by pointing the camera at it, but you would be able to determine the landscape of a room or things that are nearby. So that's useful, right, for measuring a space, uh, for photographing a space. It can be useful for calculating the right amount of flash to use, um, for firing off different cameras or reconstructing things after they happen, and for AR, where you're walking around and you need accurate depth finding to extract uh, to help extract objects and identify them in the uh, AR app. So that's cool. That is cool. Depth. We're going to see a lot more. The, the, I think I talked about this in a previous episode, but I was just writing about computational photography, and there's a camera coming out called the Light L16 that has 16 camera lenses on it. And I love that's- it. Wow. And they're all tiny. They're all like camera phone ones, but it can combined, it'll fire off 10 of those 16, which are in groups of different focal lengths. And it can make a 52 megapixel image that they're saying will be comparable to a DS- DSLR through um, the fact that they have so many lenses they can do. So they can put a bunch of cheap lenses in. So I, I still think we're going to see more sensors, more lenses, and more stuff on cameras uh, because it only costs a few bucks to throw another camera on these days. Not like it costs, you know, $100. And uh, it makes phones like that much more interesting and weird and uh, marketable. So it's cool. So we have like robots and drones and stuff that can move around. And then we have cameras that have 16 different eyes. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like giant, massive robot spiders that kill us all are only a couple years away. That's pretty much it. So enjoy. I mean, right. So if you're worried about modern politics globally right now, don't be worried. The robots are coming and they'll kill us all. So... Takes care hug, of the problem. Hug your children tight and <laughs> well, go robots, ahead and order a cheeseburger because it's fine. I, I, I'm slamming my fist on the on the desk. Well, robots are taking jobs already. Next, they'll we'll move on from that. Um, it is fun to look at the productivity charts. Fun as a definition that you've never heard of before uh, in the U.S. and see that our productivity in America has never been higher. Our industrial output has never been higher, but the jobs involved in the manufacturing sector, but the jobs involved have not budged for many, many, many years because robots, robots. Yeah, well, and some people think that AI is going to do for like middle class jobs what, you know, what uh, robots did for manufacturing jobs. It's like true. we won't need, you know, people who work at the bank and like just you know, different kind of servicey things like that. Like AI is going to step in and do a lot of that too. So maybe it's time to just pay people to stay home. People who do podcasting, for instance, they could just yes. have AI, a simple AI could take care of, oh, wait, what? Oh man, it oh, would be it. pretty simple. It would damn. not be need to be very complicated to Although, take over what I do here. Which I need is, an AI to listen to all the podcasts. I subscribe to though, and then summarize yeah, and then it for synthesize me. Synthesize it for yeah, me into a super podcast. Yeah, well, a metacast. I know this is off topic, but ro- but the the hope is that um, in the past, innovation that's improved productivity through mechanization has ultimately added jobs and improved life. But there's these huge displacements in the middle. So it's not so much that robots will be good for everyone at the same time. It's more like yeah, those. 10 million people have lost their jobs, but there's these 20 million new jobs. They're all over there. Go over there. Like, well, that's not really how people work. You can't just like suddenly move and change all your skills. So we'll get there. Um, Speaking of podcasts. Podcasts. Wait, we're not, are we down there yet? I should be on. Oh, not quite yet. 
Not quite yet. Follow oh, forward. That would have been good, though. You could have we'll skipped this one. I'll pretend. <laughs> follow, for, uh, follow forward, which is uh, Apple earnings are coming out. Apple's earnings are coming out in a few days. And uh, an analysis firm, Barclays, downgraded uh, Apple ahead of that. And people are thinking Apple's going to have some lackluster numbers based on its own uh, predictions, its own estimates that it's put out there, and based on the concern about year-over-year growth in categories. So uh, just a reminder – you're going to see stories that say, Apple, doom, doom, they're in terrible shape. I mean, the the reasonable news sources. It's that time again. You could set your watch by it. Yeah. It'll, the reasonable news sources will discuss it dispassionately and correctly and say, hey, look, they're still producing massive amounts of profit, but they've hit that point where they're not exciting people as much. The replacement rate still hasn't kicked in for some devices. And, um, you know, it's a lull. It's a lull. But it's a lull in which they're making – Tens of billions of dollars. All the money. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's a real problem. I mean, it is a problem. As a company and to keep people excited long term, when you hit a lull, this is when companies then, they don't, if they don't get over the slump, they may kick on. Like Microsoft, it took years and years of being a very profitable company and not igniting interest in any of its consumer products and, you know, trying all these things with phones and eventually abandoning their whole, you know, mobile approach. Um, they've reformed into almost a different company now selling a lot of similar products, but it's a, um, but it's a different kind of thing. And that's what people worry about with Apple's not necessarily like the smart worry about Apple is not that it goes away, but that we've already seen the best of what we're going to see. So we're only yeah. going to see tiny incremental maybe uninteresting improvements from now on instead of the kind of stuff we've been used to that sort of industry and life transforming. So I don't think the, and the worry is that Apple goes bankrupt is that it becomes Microsoft, which is a huge worry. Nobody wants Ooh, Apple. Yeah. But Microsoft today is really interesting. I know lots of people who work there. I'm in a Microsoft adjacent city. Uh, people all around me in my neighborhood work at Microsoft and um, people are excited there. Again, they're doing a lot of good work. They've kind of come out of that slump. They they got Balmer installed correctly as a, as a basketball team owner. It's a good job for him. Fits his personality very well. He's very good <laughs> He's at it. He's good at it. Yeah, He's I mean, it's, having a great time. He could, his life would have been much better if he'd made that transition earlier. And Microsoft has gone through the painful <laughs> thing of like extracting itself from bad businesses, pushing forward into new stuff. And I'm excited to look at what they're doing. And they're doing good work and they're not as you know arrogant and unpleasant as it used to be they're sort of a delightful company doing interesting stuff so everyone worries that apple will become like microsoft you know 1999 or something and um there we go okay so well, let's agree, they're gonna say that they're excited about they have some exciting products in the pipeline and then they they don't like to look at their business three months at a time and that's what the Look for them to say both of those things. Egg. Take a drink when Tim Cook says that. Exactly. So, okay, here's my bad segue I didn't do before, which is... Uh, speaking of podcasts. Speaking of podcasts, uh, the the fellow who invented the Swift language at Apple, which is their you know next generation programming language that they want to replace Objective-C with. And if you don't know what any of those words mean, it's... Uh, uh, neither do I. Don't worry. No. <laughs> but I, I started reading a Swift, uh, a book on Swift, and the idea is that Apple's gone through generations of languages, and um, they've improved Objective-C, which is what's used for iOS and macOS uh, as part of the you know, other operating systems. It's part of the Xcode um, programming environment Apple released. Swift is approaches the same kinds of programming issues in Play a different with way. Play Swift Playgrounds. It's really fun. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I went through the Swift uh, exercises, and um, it's really interesting to learn, even if you're not planning to program anything, to understand how it thinks about stuff. And so Swift is – the guy who created Swift left Apple for Tesla. Fascinating, huh? Kind of an interesting 
interesting thing. And then here's a segue Susie was alluding to. Uh, the folks, our friends at Accidental po- Tech Podcast, that's Marco Arment, my former boss and the maker of Overcast and uh, Instapaper, uh, Casey Liss and John Syracusa, uh, co host of the show for a number of years now. That's you know largely meant for technical folks and programmers, but they have very cogent discussions of um, issues, even if you're not a programmer. I'm not exactly a programmer, and I still enjoy the show. They got uh, this fella. Uh, Chris Latner on the show to talk about Swift and not about Tesla, which is hilarious because Accidental Tech Podcast grew out of those three co-hosts doing a show about cars. <laughs> oh, that's right. I so forgot about that. They I are, forgot that origin They're story. sort of slight car nuts. They're a little car nutty. And uh, so I don't – my understanding looking at the transcript is they didn't really talk about Tesla at all. They talked about Swift. So, um, but still could be interesting. And I haven't listened to it yet. I'll check it out. Wasn't just Chris Latner who left, um, but Matt uh, Casebolt, who is the uh, senior director of product design at Max, became the senior director of engineering for closures and mechanisms. Some other folks apparently had left, you know, quietly or joined before. Uh, and it's just an interesting thing because what's, you know, if you're a designer of all kinds and you're thinking, what's your next big challenge in the world? What's the coolest cutting edge? And you're being recruited by, other companies, no matter what job you have, it's cars. And Tesla is the coolest next generation car company out there. So it's not surprising. The rumor is, or not rumors, I'm sorry, there was a lot of information coming out. There's a difference between rumors and like anonymously confirmed sources that verify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the, the rumor is you don't know what it is. This is more like information that, that has been verified by enough independent sources that we feel um, it's reasonable to uh, discuss it is that Apple was building up a uh, car division and then shut a lot of it down. So it's not going to make its own car ostensibly or it's shelved that for the moment. So people who are really excited about that might have been working on it, might have been planning to try to move to the division. They're like, okay, well, Tesla's out there and we know they're recruiting. So let's go get a job at Tesla. So this an interesting side note that uh, people are going there. I mean, you know, Johnny Ive wants to jo- build a car. I'm sure, sure he'd love to design a car. Don't you think? Buying a house near the Tesla factory would be a lot easier than buying a house near the, the Cupertino factory. <laughs> a little inside Bay Area baseball. Um, Johnny Ive, if he designed a car, it would be very, very small. It would be like a matchbook car, right? No, get inside. It would be a Christmas tree with no ornaments. You can get inside. <laughs> just shrink yourself down and walk into the car. You'll be just, you know, that's you'd have this beautiful video about how really our form factor, our size is wrong. The car is the correct size. And we should make our accommodate ourselves to fit into that car, no matter how small it is. <laughs> oh my! Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm testing Susie because she's just back after We've a really week gone off. through the windshield now. She's, oh, <laughs> uh, Susie's just back from vacation, as previously stated. I'm I'm, I'm pushing it. I'm pushing <laughs> What's it. What's your excuse? She's like she's like oh I can't take Glenn this early in the morning. Uh, so let's move on to security stories. A week got a ago, right now, I was about to get on Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, I love that ride. <laughs> I love that ride. You went to Disneyland, right? Not Disney World. Yes, I went That's to good. Disneyland. Um, I had this idea for a story once. Sidebar, counselor. I had this idea for a story once, which was secret places inside places. And, you know, there's a, the special club. There's a dining room inside Parrot Club Parts. 33. Yeah, yeah. And, but you have to be, you know, sort of be a super member and know people and whatever. And um, and then I realized that's a terrible idea to write a story about hidden secret places because then, you know, they're hidden in secret. Oh, there's tons of those. Like the there's a lot of cool hidden like trivia about Disneyland in particular. Um, that's really fun to to go down that internet rabbit hole. No, I mean, more like, like secret the, clubs. Inside the Disney clubs. people, or yeah. they have a lot of of cool blogs and stuff, where they they go really nuts. I was uh, backstage at Disneyland um, 
in high school, went down there with the singing group as part of a conference, and we got to go and sing at Disneyland. So they took us backstage and nice. wandered through the backsides of sets. It was fascinating. Um, okay, so security stories. You and I are meanderers, as we know. Lots of stuff. So I already said update all your devices immediately because there are significant bugs that are not known to be in the wild. But I started updating one right after you said that. Okay. It has 13 minutes left. Don't Just update your computer. Update everyone. Don't update, update you guys on my updating That's so right. everyone's updated. That's the thing. My about transitive like, updating property. I got four, o, four OSs running. You got to like, and I've got like, I mean, this thing, I, I last night I'm like, oh yeah, I need to update everything. I have like, 13 devices to update, you know? Keeping it's things be... charged and updated is like the struggle of our time. It is. I mean, you can do without them sometimes. I have sometimes, so many things but... I have to keep charged. I'm like just happy that I don't have to update my headphones. I do have to yes. charge them, but yes. I've ne- I haven't had to update them yet. It'll be an over-the-ear update. Yeah. Womp, womp, womp. I had to restart my Mac the other day because the touch bar crashed, and I'm like, oh, my, my keyboard is crashing. I need to restart. Like, what world have my we key- created? I, it was a terrible joke I just made, and you you didn't even acknowledge. I wanted you to groan, but an over-the-ear update? Over-the-ear? Oh, yeah. All it's right. pretty good. Acknowledged. Okay. So, security stories. Update all your devices because the this isn't just a, um, you know, we fixed a kerning alignment problem in pages kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> The typeface, uh, one pixel adjustment, it's a, you know, things could really go wrong. Uh, There's nothing out there, as I say, there's nothing out there yet that's known. But when you have these kinds of weaknesses, you want to make sure that there's not some issue where uh, viruses are spreading in ways. As we learned in your excellent security series. I mean, like there's, there might just, you know, even a zero day, like it could have been exploited for years, which I think was something I didn't really understand about that that like you know this yeah they, they don't have to be discovered. like wild updates for them to be discovered yeah oh and yeah I'm, that's you know, the thing is this you and i be... probably aren't a target for you know that kind of level of snooping but you just you want to be safe it's a good habit to get into that is i think that's excellent advice yeah uh the related thing is that um was i thinking about security updates it was that you um uh, because we go to web pages and lots of devices, you don't even know you're going to websites. So people can spring load, not, I mean, so you have devices like when you use certain programs, they're actually act, act, uh, accessing websites. So you don't even have to be in a browser sometimes to do that. And um, the other part is that there's been a number of incidents in which malicious code has been injected into self-serve or auction ad networks. So you visit a website and it actually has malware embedded in an ad. It might not affect all machines, but it's happened regularly enough that it's definitely an issue. So even if you're not going to sites that are potentially malicious in themselves, you're very careful about where you browse, you could visit a site and get malware fed to you. Again, as Mac and iOS owners, that's very unlikely. It has not uh, really been an issue at, at all, but that's not, um, you know, past performance doesn't predict future actions because we are big targets. There's a lot of us uh, iOS users. Um, so a couple things that came out, <clears throat> excuse me, in the last few weeks, uh, WhatsApp, which I've recommended people use uh, for messaging because um, if you're really concerned about some of the fundamental cryptographic aspects of securing your communications, even if you don't want to know the details iMessage is way behind. Uh, Apple, it's really actually quite embarrassing how behind iMessage is in terms of um, its original design being sound, but then they've effectively not updated anything in the intervening years except for essentially bug fixes. 
They haven't updated anything in intervening years except for bug fixes, even though some of the choices they made a few years ago are now poor choices relative to what is known about the way their exploits. And um, there's been a number of security researchers have written about it. So again, I think um, WhatsApp is often a superior choice for a variety of reasons. But one and of the things- And there's just the convenience of it being cross-platform as well. Like iMessage leaves you high and dry when you want to talk to anyone who doesn't have an Apple device. And there's so many people using it. So I wrote, I've written columns recently about how to configure WhatsApp securely because it sometimes it asks you things like, do you want to back up your messages to iCloud? You want to say no, because if you back them up to iCloud, those are only protected by a password. If, if somebody obtains your password or access or a government tries to gain access legitimately or illegitimately, let's talk about illegitimate access or sweeping up data, they could conceivably gain access to your archived WhatsApp messages, even though it would be impossible to intercept them while you're communicating with somebody else. So their story came out in The Guardian uh, just after we recorded the last podcast, I think. So uh, Jonathan Zdrushkin, I don't think discussed it. I think it came out the next day or that day. Um, the Guardian ran the story, breathless story, about a major security problem in WhatsApp. And they you know, called it exclusive and um, you know, called oh, yeah. it new. The blog post about it was from April 2016. And the guy who had written this up, this uh, security researcher, had simply posted a note a few days ago just saying this problem is still extant. And the Guardian didn't talk, didn't get comments from people uh, involved in the protocols underlying and blah, blah, blah. It was just this kind of mess. So the article made it sound like WhatsApp was compromised. A ton of security researchers since then have signed off on a letter asking the Guardian to essentially retract the story because they believe it harms people in countries in which WhatsApp is an effective way to shield their communications from overreaching government uh, intrusion. And the issue boils down to in WhatsApp, if you do what I suggest and most people suggest you do, you verify the identity of the other person using a secret code you can each see. So someone contacts you, you can read the same code, and you know that you, you know that, that connection with that person is the same. So some people will do it in person. Some people will call on a cell phone or use some other means to ensure that the person they think it is has that same number that they do. Once you've confirmed that, then if that changes, let's say somebody um, acquires the cell phone number, which is possible, of someone you're talking with. So you're I'm talking to you, Susie, blah, 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 blah. Someone steals access to your SMS, sets up a new copy of WhatsApp on another phone, and I get this message in WhatsApp. And, I, I'm, and I'm trying to send you a message, and it says, hey, uh, Susie um, has, seems to have changed your information. You might want to check and make sure, verify that she's really the same person. So the bug is if I'm offline when I'm sending you a message or you're offline, if the message isn't delivered, if someone manages to change or to hijack your phone number in that time and install WhatsApp and register it on another device, unsent messages will be resent before the warning appears. In Signal, which is the app based on this uh, Open Whisper Systems developed the protocol that WhatsApp is using. It's a free and open source protocol. And there's a Signal app that Open Whisper uh, releases that uses the same protocol. In the Signal app, if that happens before those messages are transmitted, the ones that haven't been sent, you're warned then before they're sent. That's the big difference. So, oh. Right. So in order to trigger this flaw, a malicious party has to A – obtain access to your phone, to the recipient's phone number, B, confirm a copy of WhatsApp, C, ensure that the sender 
has sent a message that hasn't been received that's useful in some fashion, that like they know because they already know the recipient, this malicious hijacker already obviously knows that the two are in communication. So that kind of metadata isn't useful. Sometimes that's a signal that someone is talking. So they know that because they're, they've, they want to access this. So I have to, as a sender, have a message that hasn't been transmitted. You have to catch that as a malicious party. And then that message, they get like one message or maybe a couple when you're offline. So that is, it's not necessarily a bug. It's maybe a weakness. Maybe WhatsApp should switch that and again, require verification or let you opt to verify before sending those untransmitted messages. That's mm -hmm. the entire crux. Unfortunately, this, and, and also the other part is Signal will notify the, re the uh, recipient that someone else has registered uh, their number. And that's not done in WhatsApp either. So there's a couple minor things, um, partly for usability and their design choices. And if you don't like it, you can switch to Signal, which is free, and use it instead. It's just a lot of people are using WhatsApp. So it's not, uh, it's not a uh, encryption weakness. It's not a design weakness. Um, if someone's trying to intercept your data, you get a message. So it's not like someone's taking control of this conversation as a man in the middle and it's unnoticed. You as a sender are notified that something changed. So you're alerted. If you're involved in sensitive communications, you're like, okay, network's compromised, going to pull the plug, you know, um, mayday, mayday, <laughs> let's tell everybody involved. <laughs> you know, you, you immediately, if you see that, your reaction is, oh, I better verify this with someone. You, you, your reaction is tell everybody else in your communication circle, so-and-so is compromised. Uh, and consider that until you have a, a safe way to verify the person isn't. So this blew up into a whole thing. And um, I wrote about it because uh, it was sort of nonsense. So it, it wasn't that no problem existed. It's just that A, it wasn't new. B, it's uh, well-defined and described. C, it's a design choice. And D, it's safer to use WhatsApp than nearly any other messaging system except Signal. In some countries, they may be unable to download and use Signal. WhatsApp is in much wider use. And if configured properly and you pay attention to it, it's the safest tool um, out there. With the proviso, they could change that and, again, um, offer to require that you verify before those untransmitted messages are sent. Good, huh? Yeah. What an it's issue. Tough. Yeah. But people like Bruce Schneier and uh, folks I talk to all the time about security um, put out a lot of, you know, they, they were very upset about the Guardian article because they are concerned about people turning to le like, because WhatsApp is the best thing that everyone can use. Anything else that, that mo lots of people use is less secure. So they feel that that article put people at risk because it puts them away from WhatsApp into a more interceptable form of communication. Yeah. Yeah, because the choice for most people isn't like WhatsApp or Signal. It's like WhatsApp or using the built-in text messaging thing that came with my phone. Yeah. So in that case, obviously WhatsApp is way better. And yeah, and, and like, yeah, security researchers need to keep in mind, and a lot of them do a great job of keeping in mind like what normal people are going to yeah. do. Yep. And um, so did you, I, you were on vacation, so you probably missed this one too. Uh, unless you started getting pictures like this, the Meitu app, uh, the little anime. I, yes. I, well, I, I was aware. I saw the pictures. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then like, <laughs> you know, 12 hours later or whatever, everyone's like, Ermager, the app that's making all the pretty pictures is a security nightmare. So yes, catch me up on that. Oh yeah. It was great. It was, it was, this app might be stealing your soul. Tune in at 11 for Nora on this story. But it made my eyes so big. My and, eyes like, so big. I never looked so adorable. Well, I, uh, this is a, this is actually a very similar situation of WhatsApp, which is that although, I mean, it's a little, I shouldn't say it's similar. The, the story, 
the actual details of what's going on are not nearly as severe as what was initially reported, even though I think the initial reports were not irresponsible, but they were really like, we don't know what the heck's going on. Don't download this app. Don't use it. Um, the, the issue is the app is probably pretty sloppy. And our friend, again, Jonathan Zajarski, was decompiling the app and posting in real time some of what he was finding. Other researchers were tearing the thing apart once they discovered that stuff was being sent. Um, the Android version, I was talking to our colleague, Jason Cross, over at Greenbot in our uh, Slack IDG Slack room. And um, when this happened, because I, I was like, look, on Android, it asks for all of these permissions, and it's more explicit. On an iOS, an app always only asks for permission when uh, you um, when it wants something. Like it wants to access contacts, you get a pop-up, do you want to give it access to contacts, and so forth. And you can change that later. And Android, Jason points out, later versions of Android do the same thing. They ask at the time. But in Google- Yeah, they changed that recently. Which is good. I think it's more efficient. But in Google Play, you can still go and see what kind of uh, permissions um, uh, that an app wants from you. And it lists them very specifically, which I think is great. Oh, that would be nice to bring into the App Store because then like, people would have more room. And I've actually seen some apps like before you get the official iOS pop-up, it gives you like an in-app pop-up being like, we're about to ask you yes. for permission for this and here's why. Because sometimes you don't get the room for context and like people want to just, just want to know why, that's all. I think actually... Given a lot of privacy stories lately, I think Apple would be well served if it required a tiny statement from the developer, like when they requested certain entitlements. Like if your app requests uh, contacts, photos, whatever, you have to have like a one sentence thing at least that explains why you're using it. So the Hiya app, H-I-Y-A, which is available as a separate free app in iOS, and it also powers uh, AT&T's Call Protect, which is free to AT&T customers. And they license to, I forget who else, I think Samsung maybe or somebody. Um, Haya is uh, a call blocking and call ID, caller ID app. And if you have it installed, um, it, when you install it in iOS, the first time it says, hey, we want access to all your contacts. And people, when I wrote a column about it, when it came, or an article about it in the column, were like, I don't want to give this unknown company all this access. And the issue is they don't want to block your contacts and they can't tell your contacts unless they upload them and mark them as whitelist. And like, but then I'm uploading my information and Haya's disclosure was sort of poor. So we went through this round where they had to improve their privacy disclosure and explain more clearly exactly what they were doing. If they'd had that in the app, so you could go to the app store and say, we, okay, you know, this app requests contact information. Why are you requesting it? Okay, we're requesting it because we need to whitelist your contacts so we don't block them. And this also helps other people by uh, in the network because those numbers are now white are like at a better score because you know them. And then what are you going to do with the information? Our privacy policy is blah, blah, blah. We will never disclose it, blah, 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 right? If that was in that format, people would be much more comfortable and wouldn't feel like they're being taken advantage of, right? Yeah. I think so. So with May 2, this is kind of the same thing. Is May 2, um, if on the Android side, you can go and it says, this app requires access to your camera, your photo roll, your your, your driver's license, your dog's middle name. <laughs> um, but it has this list of it like- I wanted to know if it was rooted. Like, I mean, I, I didn't really follow it. I was just sort of like catching up on Twitter, but it would, yeah. On Android, it wants to know a list of Wi-Fi networks around you, your Wi-Fi connections. It wants access to the local, like all this stuff. And you're like, Gee. and Jason's like, Jason told me, this is the tricky part because I'm not an Android uh, expert. He's like, this is actually not atypical because you ask for one kind of entitlement and it comes with all this other stuff. So I'm like, okay. Mm, so the Android yeah. screen grabs look bad. Jonathan Zajarski decompiling the iOS app says, there's a lot of crud in here, but it looks more like crud than stuff that's being used. Because right here, they're asking for the unique um, 
cell ID, the IMEI, which uh, iOS won't deliver. You can't get the IMEI or IME or whatever it's called through that mechanism. Another thing in the iOS code is asking for the unique network adapter or Mac address, which won't get delivered via iOS either. So in the end, I talked to the company. They were actually very responsive. They realized right away this was an issue that they hadn't clarified. I got several emails from them and they released an extensive statement that detailed all their privacy. And their thing is, you know, we've been a top app in China for years. We actually have some, you know, English language apps. We just moved this into the market. They didn't expect it would become instantly popular. So they're still localizing their English language site. So the English language site is very generic. It doesn't have the full privacy information. Um, it's asking for, uh, so some of what it's doing, like they, in the app, oh, so the app itself is obviously very sloppy. It has frameworks from all these different analytics programs. It's asking for all this stuff. Most of that information is either like some of the code isn't even consulted. It's just compiled in. In some cases, it can't get the information. So it doesn't even matter that it's trying to retrieve from iOS because it can't deliver it. So uh, their main thing is we sell, They just, you know, I said, so where do you make your money from this free app? And they said, well, you know, we're always gathering information. We're trying to improve algorithms. We're selling ads inside the app and we need geolocation information so that we can target so we're not sending Chinese ads to American customers, for instance, which is reasonable. And they said um, – the other thing is their ad partners in China at least require that they check for jailbreaking extensively because jailbroken phones, people will create ad-clicking software that – so if you install um. if you install a legitimate app on a jailbroken phone, it can actually simulate ad things and it, and it develops uh, ad fraud. I mean, it's a way to develop ad fraud and steal money. So they're like, we have all these reasons. Like the Chinese market is also more particular. There's a lot more jailbreak, like whatever. So they were not prepared entirely for this. I'm taking them at face value, not because I believe everything a company says, but it matches up with the fact that they're uh, that the software is just messy and needs to be cleaned up and they needed to publish a privacy policy because once it's published, then they're obliged to follow it or they could be sued, they could be shut down, Apple could remove them. Whatever. Um, Apple uh, got in touch with Apple to try to get a statement. They did not reply with on-the-record information for me, so I can't clarify anything about whether they're violating App Store rules, rules but it remains in the App Store. And um, I don't think it's unsafe. I just think they need to uh, clean the software up, like get somebody in there to hoover out all the code that's not in use and, and get rid of the stuff that looks dangerous that's not actually doing anything, and, and boom. Cool. So you can be animated, Susie. You can install the software and... Uh, Look, super kawaii. I actually got it. I didn't install it. I was like, I'm going to have to ask Glenn about this. But just for now, I'll take my selfies the old-fashioned way. I got a phrase. Snapchat. My, my <laughs> editor, Leah Hamshan, did not. She dropped the, the headline. It was uh, kawaki, uh, no, uh, was it kawaii no so, I think, is um, not cute in Japanese. <laughs> so you know Your the phrase. Your headlines are way too clever was, for us. It was, I hope uh, you don't spend a lot of time because we always change them. I got No, you guys do, do your search <laughs> conversation. I got one of our other colleagues in IDG. I was making a joke about it. Be, like, so kawaii is uh, cute. And so I think it's a term people uh, who don't speak Japanese use it about anime and other things. Kawaii just means cute in that kind of very super cute style. And yes. um, so I was mentioning this in the IDG chat room and one of our colleagues said, oh, well, you want to say uh, it's kawaki, I think I can remember, kawaki no sai. So, and she's like, this is all I remember from college Japanese. And I looked it up and I'm like, oh yeah, it means not cute. I'm like, oh, I could work that in. And then people who are into the, but anyway, it does not You're good do, for subheads. We just got to keep do. it searchable. It's not the, kawaii. Let me tell you that. So, yeah, um, no one's going to search for that. <laughs> uh, 
That's right. Not, so, but you can be very kawaii. So people, have you seen the things where people feed the same image in and they feed the results in multiple oh, times? Oh, no. Is, I bet that's terrifying. It's terrifying. Uh, Laura Hudson, a uh, writer who writes a lot about uh, gaming and culture, terrific writer. Um, I think she's still – she wrote for Wired. She was part of uh, Offworld at Boing Boing for a while. Uh, which has a book out. Um, Laura Hudson got <laughs> widely cited because she has uh, took a photo of herself and she has that uh, ombre hair, so it's like red descending to a different color, and went through once, and then she fed it through a few times. I've seen that circulated a lot because the fourth image, the fourth generation is just like, it's like um, like the Simpsons episode where they visit the petting zoo. <laughs> there we go. I'm just trying to put it in cultural reference. You and I both understand. Um, so it's, oh, 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 get out of here, you. Um, so that's all this of This is folks. lamb, not a lamb. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's I a say magical that every time animal, we see Lisa. Uh, so, B Y O B B B. Anyway, off the Simpsons jokes. So, uh, my two, you can try it. Uh, I'd like them to clean it up, but I don't think it is a privacy nightmare. I think it's more just um, a company that sells ads against uh, where you are and um, you're the product, but I don't think they're trying to extract your personal information and destroy you with it. Final security story. I wrote something that uh, went up recently about um, like what we can expect with Internet of Things security because the uh, FTC went after um, – Oh, uh, I'm blanking on the company. Was it uh, – before I say it, let me look it up to double check because it was a little bit D-Link. D-Link. They went after D-Link because of some of the security practices. So the, the FTC can't um, prospectively go to a company and say, you have to use these security protections. And that's why the Internet of Things in America in particular but also worldwide is um, – dangerous because companies aren't required to follow any processes. There's no uh, single industry group that controls it. There's no consortiums. There's nothing like Wi-Fi. Uh, there's groups forming, but they still don't have the power of like certification labels. Well, if you can't put Wi-Fi on it, no one's going to buy it, that kind of thing. So the FTC can only act if they believe there's like fraud and misrepresentation going on. So in going after D-Link, they allege that D-Link promised certain things and then didn't do those things. So that's where they're going. So my question was in this column is in a new administration in a government structure that favors less regulation, whether the FTC will be pursuing more or fewer actions because one could argue that the Internet of Things is a place where market uh, forces have failed and a lot of conservative philosophy believes you don't enter uh, – you don't use regulation except as a last resort when there's a market failure to establish a kind of balance or to protect people or whatever. And there's arguments about that. So there's really a big question about whether the FTC will now pursue more actions in order to better establish a market because that improves consumer well-being and maybe sales because people trust the products more or if it will step back and let the market continue to fight it out on a basis of price and not try to enforce uh, fraud and deception issues where the FTC would allegedly otherwise have found them. So we shall see. Mm. It's a brave new world. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of suing, um, Susie, I know you love patent lawsuits. You love It's love so hard to get lawsuits. excited about patents and lawsuits and patent lawsuits. Patents and lawsuits, patents and lawsuits. I just say it enough times, it loses all meaning. It's, if someone uh, made it like a musical about it that became a hit, maybe I'd get into it. But right now, it's pretty boring. Make a Gangnam style thing about uh, patents, and it would be uh, yeah, be huge. 
Um, yeah, because now we're into the Samsung thing is still dragging on with Apple, and now we're into Apple suing Qualcomm for a billion, one billion dollars, bum, 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 uh, because it alleges that Qualcomm was charging it. I think it was both uh, – let me make sure I get the details right so that no one sues me. <laughs> um, yeah, the law, Apple's alleging that Qualcomm charged high licensing fees to the companies that make iPhones for Apple and that these companies pass the fees to Apple but aren't allowed to show Apple – the licensing deal, so Apple doesn't know what it's paying for, and Apple thinks it's being, it's overpaying, uh, and for patents and for patents that, or and for intellectual property that it alleges that Qualcomm doesn't necessarily even have the rights to or controls. So, one billion dollars, you know, pocket change for these companies. Uh, cool. And then, yeah, and then meanwhile, Nokia is asking the International Trade Commission, which controls uh, imports and exports. Uh, to investigate Apple over patents, which could involve or could uh, um, it's unlikely would halt imports of Apple products, but it could wind up, you know, Apple might do a quick settlement or there could be other fuss going on there. So the usual exciting stuff. I look forward to many boring lawsuits with lots of uh, jurors falling asleep during testimony. Um, I read some of the coverage. I think it was Sarah Jong at, uh, is at Motherboard, writes for Motherboard, um, covered uh the Sam, I think it was the Samsung <clears throat> trial a few months ago, several months ago. Yeah. Very closely. And I would check it on her Twitter feed. And it was like, oh, my. I mean, she's a, uh, I believe she has a law degree and she understands this stuff uh, at a very, very deep level. And she's trying to represent it to the rest of us. And it's still like, you know, the jury, what the jury had to go through to understand anything on these issues. Like, you know, you can't hire patent lawyers to be on the jury. Your average people off the street spent what weeks and weeks listening to this stuff and are trying to determine, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's, it should, there should basically be patent. It shouldn't be a litigable thing because it's impossible for a jury to make reasonable decisions. Basically it should be a different process, but we're not in charge of the world yet. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Did I say that? Whoops. I said that out loud. <laughs> Never mind. You didn't hear that. Uh, one more bit of news, a couple more bits of news. Um, Foxconn and Apple have apparently been talking about whether they would build a $7 billion manufacturing plant in the U.S. to do, uh, I think it's displays, um, which is interesting. And uh, just like a lot of the announcements that have been made ahead during the last few months, um, a lot of uh, – uh, there's this is a uh, – from Nikkei Asian Review – the uh, says the Foxconn chairman said this could create thirty to fifty thousand jobs, which seems like a lot given the kind of automation, other stuff that's going on. But who knows? Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. They're talking about the thing is uh, he apparently told reporters the uh, chairman of Foxconn in the future uh, they may be paying five hundred dollars more for U.S. products, but these do not necessarily work better than a three hundred dollar phone, which is a confusing statement. So unclear whether that means that the phones will suddenly cost you know twelve hundred dollars or uh, he means they'll cost $200 more or whatever. So we shall see. And a $7 billion plant is actually not that big a deal. When I was uh, – uh, just after I uh, left my hometown of Eugene, Oregon, um, I think it was uh, Hyundai came to town and they built like a $2 billion plant in one corner of the town. Like semiconductor and other kinds of manufacturing plants are expensive to build. Um, but these are companies dealing with hundreds of billions of dollars of um, sales and infrastructure. And so $7 billion, even though it sounds like a lot, is you know it is a lot of money. But it doesn't necessarily, you know, that's going to be a tiny, tiny fraction of Foxconn's manufacturing capability. Yeah, I saw in one of the stories that the things they were asking for um, 
I mean, they, like, they wanted help with the land, and that's like kind of a one-time cost mostly, but then it was electricity. Like yeah, that yeah. was the, the big cost, isn't building the plant, it's powering it. So, and then we've also been following the iPhone rumors pretty closely, and one of them is that, and I mean, like, obviously this this factory would take a while, so like the, the current rumor cycle isn't really affected by it, but I thought it was interesting that one of the rumors is that Apple might start um, sort of following the Apple Watch model with the iPhones and maybe experimenting with like more luxe materials for like a higher end version of the phone. And if, you know, they were going to open a um, plant here that made, you know, was going to necessitate a higher selling price for phones, that could be sort of a way to justify it was they could Mm -hmm. start making ceramic phones or like, you know, whatever, some kind of like they could do like a stain. I think the rumor now is like a stainless steel aluminum thing, which is exactly the model we see with the watch. Um, So that, you know, that could end up being coming into play if they if they want to build a factory here that makes expensive phones. They could be like, well, let's just double down and make really expensive phones. Well, right, and that's where they do more investment in automation too. So they make these super expensive material or expensive materials that are very expensive and complicated to make, but require relatively few people because their investment is mostly in technology. I mean, so this is talking about thirty to fifty thousand jobs, which sounds like a lot for a. I mean, honestly, for a seven billion dollar plant in the U.S., that's a lot of jobs. Um, there's just not that's not usually the ratio. And in some of the job creating news we've heard in the last few months, uh, a lot of the stuff is about building factories that, yes, they'll employ X people when they're in full production as they start up. And then very gradually, they will employ fewer and fewer people as more automation kicks in. So a lot of these deals are tricky where it's unclear, you know, does it what part gets recaptured if the company is owned by a Chinese firm or co-developed? then you know the profits are still going to go back to China. They're not going to flow to the U.S. And you get more jobs, but if there's more automation, maybe in the end it doesn't wind up with more money being taxed and, um, and spent here versus the final price, uh, especially since with so many uh, electronic devices made in China sold in the U.S., the cap- tax is captured anyway from the final price of the device, and this is like a value-added part. So as with all international trade and manufacturing, complicated issues. But um, yeah, I mean – I like that idea, though. If you're making really expensive stuff, you have a bigger margin, so maybe you can afford to make it uh, in the U.S. Also, those margins we've talked about a little. We're not a trade show, but we, you know, Chinese uh, standard of living, cost of living, quality of living, uh, um, and wages are all on the upswing in places around factories and cities. And as a result, that means it's going to be more and more expensive. China is becoming more environmentalistic because or environmentalist because of the uh, bad air quality and other issues. They just canceled a ton of coal plants in progress, so it may be more expensive to do business in China because they will be cleaning up um, power and other things, and maybe paying more attention. Uh, as they have not in the past, to certain environmental issues. So the costs will go up, 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 and we are more and more automated here. It's very exciting to watch, Susie. Very exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> it is. Uh, one final issue. Don't that I sound excited? You do. Uh, <laughs> post-vacation excited. Um, so uh, final thing, uh, this is in your wheelhouse. I saved this for you for last because I know you love this. Uh, my headline on this is failing carrier buys part of failing music service. Uh, Ouch. I know. Well, Sprint, Sprint, the number four carrier. We're number four and not proud of it. Um, they uh, probably the least like cellular carrier right now. Which is hard with Verizon in the mix. Uh, Sprint has bought 33%, 33 RPMs, 33% of Tidal music service, the greatest music service ever created anywhere forever. What do you think about that? What does that that mean? What's going to happen? Do we even care? Is it even worth talking about? 
Well, I mean, if everyone who has a Sprint phone gets free title, that's nice. But um, I mean, I don't think that's that was announced. So yeah, we got there's, there's not a lot to get excited about unless you have Sprint and title, and then you're like, woohoo, maybe I'll get a discount. That's it. Boom. Uh, but I wouldn't switch to Sprint or Title because of this. It seems weird. It's like a little bit like, you know, uh, uh, Wendy's has bought 33% of RC Cola. It's very exciting. So oh, you they can did get... say that its customers would get exclusive access to certain content. Ooh, certain, certain content. Yeah, I prefer Coke or Pepsi to, uh, you know, RC Cola, so... Who likes CRMS? My mom used to get the like Shasta or whatever, like or the, the jo- Jolly Good. Oh my god! Or just the store brand. The off brand. Who likes CRMS? That's my question. You got seven Nobody. up. You got seven up. You got Sprite. You got. You CRMS. sound dumb ordering it. Is the problem? Like, like you can say even sa- like a grown man saying the word Sprite. Like there's something like I mean you know it's it's not a manly word, but Sierra Mist. Like no one can sound cool ordering a Sierra Mist. I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna blow your mind with something I learned on the internet. Lemonade in other countries is basically Sprite. Whoa. It's like lemon flavored soda. It's why, so there's this confusing oh, thing. Oh, yeah, so yeah. When Beyonce, no, that stuff is good. They make yeah. like vodka cocktails with that instead of, okay, yeah, so, like that's so, very popular in the bars of Spain. I was very into it. So lemonade, people get very confused when they come here and they order it and they get it. And Americans, when they go elsewhere and they order lemonade, are very confused when they're given something like, I did not order Sprite, I ordered lemonade like we brought you lemonade it tastes like lemon and this is what we call it they're like no i want i want (laughs) i want actual squeezed lemons with sugar and water they're like that is not lemonade this is so anyway it's a very but it's still not sprite sprite like it's not totally clear it sort of looks like like carbonated lemon juice and it tastes like lemonade i don't think there's any lemons it's It's like a sparkly thing so uh, beyonce's lemonade was very confusing overseas why is she talking about soda what's the deal (laughs) <laughs> that's what I leave you with. That's what I, that's what I will leave you with. Uh, uh, and um, and we're out. That's it. We've run out of topics. Even on a slow week, there's a lot to talk about. So, Susie, great. Welcome back. I'm glad we ended on Beyonce. I that's... figured, yeah. Queen Bay. Great story, by the way, in uh, was it New York Times Magazine about uh, Beyonce and well, – how do you pronounce her sister's name? Solange? Solange. Solange. Uh, about Solange. their mother their who is amazing. Is I she's never so heard anything about her before. She is a – Tina. Uh, oh, my God. She's, she's great. We'll put that Destiny's in the show notes. Child outfits and – I mean – she is great. She is great. And she has great kids. And I just, I loved reading about it. I don't really know the music. I'm not that hip, as you know. I'm so hip. It's a wonder my pants stay up. Uh, so unhip. It's a wonder my pants stay up. But a uh, great story. So finish off with Beyonce's mom. She's great. Very interesting person. Very, very creative. Uh, has uh, has uh, raised two incredible children. Love to all the moms, Love especially moms. Beyonce and Exactly. Solange's that was mom. just, it's great to hear about a parent in the music industry who is, um, solid and grounded does is a creative person in their own right is respected and raises children who love them that's just here, i just love here. that so finishing on a high note love your children love your parents susie great to have you back missed i missed you but thanks Glenn. i'm glad you had a you good too. time uh and uh, we'll be back next week with more of uh this nonsense more simpsons quotes and in between simpsons quotes some apple news you can find us at macworld.com of course but can also email us 
podcasts at macworld.com. Find us on the Twitter at GlennF, G-L-E-N-N-F, or at SFSOOZ, S-F-S-O-O-Z, like Z. And you can reach us with comments uh, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash macworld, where I go and read the comments. I do, I do, I do, and I reply to things if I have anything useful to chip in. So if you're not a Facebooker, create a fake account. Just go there. Don't have to give any information. Just be somebody else, and you can read our uh, read and comment on stuff as uh, Bilbo Baggins or whatever. <laughs> they have a real name policy, <laughs> but they only check if someone complains. So uh, find a name in the phone book, register yourself, and you can you can comment in Facebook articles. Uh, folks, we'll be back next week, and this has been episode 543 for January 25th, 2017. Thank you, as always, for listening. <laughs>